Chapter One of True Tales of Arctic Heroism in the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. True Tales of Arctic Heroism in the New World by Adolphus W. Greeley. The Loyalty of Philip Staff to Henry Hudson. You, Philip Staff, the only one who chose freely to share with us the shallop's fate rather than travel in the hell-bound ship too good an english sailor to desert your crippled comrades van dyke on the walls of the great tate gallery in london are many famous pictures but few draw more attention from the masses or excite a livelier human interest among the traveled than does the last voyage of henry hudson while the artist dwells most on the courage of henry hudson he recalls the loyalty of philip staff and thus unites high human qualities ever admired consider that in barely four years hudson made search for both the northeast and northwest passages laid the foundations for the settlement of new york opened up hudson bay and in a north polar voyage reached the then farthest north a world record that was unsurpassed for nearly two centuries few explorers in career in success and in world influence have equaled hudson and among those few are columbus magellan vasco da gama and livingston thus hudson's life was not merely an adventurous tale to be told whether in the golden words of a great chronicle or in magic colors through the brush of a great artist it appeals to the imagination and so impresses succeeding generations throughout the passing centuries for such reasons the materialistic twentieth century acclaimed loudly the fame of this unknown man mysterious in his humanity though great as a navigator so in nineteen o nine the deeds and life of henry hudson were commemorated by the most wonderful celebration of the western hemisphere whether judged by its two millions of spectators its unsurpassed electric displays with six hundred thousand lights or its parade of great warships from eight admiring nations great were his deeds but what was the manner of this man who won that greatest love from philip staff who in stress lay down life for his master there was religious duty done for purchas tells us that anno sixteen o seven april the nineteenth at st ethelburge in bishopgate street did communicate these persons seamen proposing to go to sea in four days after to discover a passage by the north pole to japan and china first henry hudson master twelfthly john hudson a boy hence we have faith that hudson was sound and true the last voyage was in the discovery fifty-five tons only during which hudson in search of the northwest passage explored and wintered in hudson bay the journal of abacuc prickett the fullest known gives a human touch to the voyage he tells of a bear which from one ice floe to another came toward us till she was ready to come aboard the ship but when she saw us look at her she cast her head down between her hind legs and then dived under the ice and so from piece to piece till she was out of our reach some strange appearing indian caches were found of which he relates we saw some round hills of stone like to grasscocks which at first I took to be the work of some Christian. We went unto them, turned off the uppermost stone, and found them hollow within, 
and full of fowls hanged by their necks later he adds we were desirous to know how the savages killed their fowl which was thus they take a long pole with a snare or noose at the end which they put about the fowl's neck and so pluck them down hudson unwisely decided to remain in the bay through the winter and put the discovery into quarters in james bay an unfortunate though possibly inevitable anchorage knowing as we do the terrible cold of the winters in the hudson bay region it is certain that the illy provided crew must have suffered excessively during the winter besides the ship was provisioned only for six months and must be absent nearly a year sensible of the situation hudson encouraged systematic hunting and promised a reward for every one who killed either beast or fish or fowl the surrounding forests and barren hills were scoured for reindeer moss or any other vegetable matter that could be eaten while the activity of the hunters was such that in three winter months they obtained more than twelve hundred ptarmigan nevertheless they were in straits for food despite efforts at sea and on land they had sailed a few days only on their homeward voyage when the discontent and insubordination engendered the preceding winter had swollen into mutiny alleging that there had been unfairness in the distribution of food henry green a dissipated youth who owed his position to hudson's kindness incited his fellows to depose hudson and cast him adrift that this was a mere suspicion is clear from the cruel and inhuman treatment of their sick and helpless shipmates who also suffered hudson's fate prickett relates that hudson was brought bound from his cabin and then was the shallop hauled up to the ship's side and the poor sick and lame men were called on to get out of their cabins into the shallop two of the seamen ludlow and boot railed at the mutineers and were once ordered into the boat philip staff the former carpenter now mate took a decided stand against the mutineers but they decided that he should remain on the ship owing to his value as a skilled workman he heroically refused to share their lot but would go with the master saying as for himself he would not stay in the ship unless they would force him the private log of prickett though favoring always the mutineers with whom he returned to england clearly shows that philip staff was a man of parts although unable to either read or write his high character and unfailing loyalty appear from his decision he was steadfast in encouraging those inclined to despair and also discouraged grumbling discontent which was so prevalent in the ship he was one of the men sent to select the location of winter quarters on the desolate shores of james bay faithful to his sense of duty he knew how and when to stand for his dignity and rights he displayed spirit and resolution when hudson in untimely season and in an abusive manner ordered him in a fit of anger to build a house under unsuitable conditions ashore staff asserted his rights as a ship's carpenter and declined to compromise himself ashore his quick eye and prompt acts indicated his fitness for a ship's officer he first saw and gave warning unheeded of a ledge of rocks on which the discovery grounded again in a crisis by watchful care and quick action he saved the ship's cable by cutting it when the main anchor was lost but in critical matters he stood fast by the choleric hudson who recognized his merit and fidelity by making him mate when obliged to make a change this caused feeling as prickett records for that the master hudson loved him and made him mate 
whereat they, the crew, did grudge, because he could neither read nor write. Even in the last extremity, Staff kept his head, exerted his personal influence with the mutineers for the good of the eight men who were to be cast adrift with the master. Declining the preferred chance of personal safety, he asked the mutineers to give means of prolonging life in the world. He thus secured his tools, pikes, a pot, some meal, a musket with powder and shot. Then he quietly went down into the boat. Wilson, a mutineer, testified that Philip Staff might have stayed still in the ship, but he would voluntarily go into the shallop for love of the master Hudson. Rather than cast in his life with mutineers, thus ensuring present comfort with prolonged life, this plain, illiterate English sailor stood fast by his commander and faced a lingering death while caring for his sick and helpless comrades in a desolate far-off land. Death with unstained honor among his distressed shipmates was to Philip Staff preferable to a life of shame and dishonor among the mutineers of the discovery. Surely he belongs to those described by the Bishop of Exeter, men who trample self beneath them, men who make their country read them. The heroic loyalty of Philip Staff was fittingly embalmed in quaint historic prose by the incomparable English chronicler of the principal voyages of famous navigators. Purchase, in his pilgrimage, relates, but see what sincerity can do in the most desperate trials. One Philip Staff, an Ipswich man, who, according to his name, had been a principal staff and stay to the weaker and more enfeebled courages of his companions in the whole action, lightening and unlightening their drooping, darkened spirits, with sparks from his own resolution, their best purveyor, with his peace on shore, and both a skillful carpenter and lusty mariner on board, when he could by no persuasions season with tears divert them from their devilish designs, notwithstanding they entreated him to stay with them, yet chose rather to commit himself to God's mercy in the forlorn shallop than with such villains to accept of likelier hopes. The mutineers, having deposed and marooned the great navigator Hudson, looked forward to a homeward voyage of plenty and of comfort, but under the rash and untrained directions of Henry Green, William Wilson, and Robert Jewett, the wretched, luckless seamen were in turn harried by hostile savages and distressed by deadly famine. Prickett relates that a party landed near Cape Diggs at the mouth of Hudson Strait to barter with the natives for provisions, and adds, I cast up my head and saw a savage with a knife in his hands who stroke at my breast over my head. I cast up my right arm to save my breast. He wounded my arm and stroke me in the body under the right pap. He stroke a second blow, which I met with my left hand, and then he stroke me in the right thigh and had like to cut off my little finger of the left hand. I sought for somewhat wherewith to strike him, not remembering my dagger at my side, but looking down I saw it, and therewith stroke him into the body and the throat. Whilst I was thus assaulted in the boat, our men were set upon on the shore. John Thomas and William Wilson had their bows cut, and Michael Purse and Henry Green, being mortally wounded, came tumbling into the boat together. The savages betook them to their bows and arrows, which they sent among us, wherewith Henry Green was slain outright, and Michael Purse received many wounds, and so did the rest. In turning the boat I received a cruel wound in my back with an arrow, but there died there that day William Wilson, swearing and cursing in most fearful manner. Michael Purse lived two days and then died.
of their final sufferings prickett records towards ireland we now stood with prosperous winds for many days together then was all our meal spent and our fowl birds from hudson bay resty rusty and dry but being no remedy we were content with salt broth for dinner and the half fowl for supper now went our candles to rack and bennett our cook made a mess of meat of the bones of the fowl frying them with candle grease our vinegar was shared and to every man a pound of candles delivered for a week as a great dainty our men became so faint that they could not stand at the helm but were fain to sit then robert jewett died for mere want and all our men were in despair and our last fowl were in the steep tub now in this extremity it pleased god to give us sight of land as to hudson with loyal staff and their sick comrades the record runs they stood out of the ice the shallop being fast to the stern and so they cut her head fast we saw not the shallop or ever after thus perished henry hudson the man who laid the foundations of the metropolis of the western hemisphere who indirectly enriched the world by hundreds of millions of dollars by giving to it the fisheries of spitzbergen and the fur trade of hudson bay to the day of his death he followed the noble rule of life set forth in his own words to achieve what they have undertaken or else to give reason wherefore it will not be in geography and in navigation in history and in romance his name and his deeds stand forever recorded in the homeric centuries hudson might well have been deified and even in this age he has become in a manner mythological among the sea rovers as graphically depicted by kipling and north amid the hummocks a biscuit tossed below we met the fearful shallop that frighted whalers know for down a cruel ice lane that opened as he sped we saw dead henry hudson steer north by west his dead End of chapter one